Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. All right, if you have something to thank God for, say amen. Amen. He has been good to us and He continues to be good to us. Amen. Amen and amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Somebody say amen. You know, when you get up here and you minister the Word, you pray for songs like that before you get up here. Because you know folks get happy. And you get in a way to where you, if you're not there already, well now all of a sudden you want to receive from the Lord. Thank you, Ken. This man is always a blessing. Thanks, sir. Well, all right, let's turn to the book of John, chapter 12. This week is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem millennia ago for the whole world to see and to know for sure that according to the prophecy, He was the King to come, and He still is the King who came. Somebody say amen. While you guys are turning to John chapter 12, I want to honor our pastors. I I want to thank them for allowing me to speak this morning and to to serve them and thereby serve you. Uh, Appreciate you guys coming this morning as always. Uh, It is always my privilege to to serve you. Pastor's got my notes. He's probably got them pulled up now. Um, Don't get distracted by them because sometimes it seems like a train wreck in my notes, I'm sure. But... Uh, so everybody can pace themselves this morning. We're going to read the word here in just a minute. I'm going to tell two stories. Um, then we're going to do uh, just a few thoughts on our, the narrative today. We're going to talk about Scripture, and then we're going to go back to some application that's on that. For those of you who know me, I'm sure you sized me up when you saw me charge in the stage that I'm going to pull out a passage from the Bible and go verse by verse and go all the way down the line. So we're going to do things a little different this morning. That way you can pace yourself and you'll be able to figure out uh, more closely um, when we're going to get out here and go to the steakhouse. Somebody say amen. Um, Let me give you a little homework before we stand up and read the Word. For those of you that may be visiting, you may be thinking, wow, I didn't sign up for this. We're not doing homework. This is optional. I'm going to give you Bible scholars three questions real quick. You can look these up and get back with me this week if you'd like to. I'd love to hear what you have to say. The first one is, uh, what was Jesus referring to when he said the rocks will cry out? The second question is, how many donkeys were involved in this procession? And the third one is this, and this is a big one right here. Read and discover why the east gate in Jerusalem was sealed shut. I say this just because, just to stir you up, give you something to go look at this evening or something the rest of this week, and if you didn't get all these questions, then certainly hit me after church and we'll talk about it, and I'll, I will um, repeat those, those for you then. So is everybody in John chapter 12 now? John chapter 12. Well, as is my custom, let's stand for the reading of the Word and let's worship Him with that. John chapter 12 and verse 12. On the next day, the great multitude who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things the disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him up from the dead were bearing him witness. For this cause also the multitude went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. Verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. It's with an open heart and an open mind that we come before you this morning, not for a history lesson, but for a a download from you, Father, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, change the way we look at life itself, and help us to see what you would have us to see.
that we would see you in all of your glory, that we would see Jesus in his rightful place, and that we would learn and become true followers that want to walk like Jesus did. Use me this morning to be a, a vessel for you that would speak the words that they need to hear and that I so desperately need to hear myself. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. So, considering the, the seriousness of our message today, I have a, a little bit of a funny story. It's, it's more or less a, uh, something that happened in my life. The year, as I recall, it was 1987. Uh, it was shortly after the, the first Palm Sunday for many of you. It was a, a time for a division change of command where I was stationed. Every unit would be represented not by the entire unit, but by the commander, who was normally a captain or a major, by the first sergeant, which was the, the highest enlisted person in that unit, and then the guide-on bearer. That's the guy that carries the, the company colors or the, the company flag. At one of the, the practice formations, I was standing there beside Top, who is what the first sergeant's called. I'm standing there beside Top when all of a sudden and completely out of absolutely nowhere, somebody came up from behind me, grabbed me by the back of my Kevlar helmet, and started shaking me all over the place. Literally, I weighed 155 pounds, dripping wet, brick in both back pockets, combat boots, and a rifle. He grabs me by my helmet and starts shaking me and screaming at the top of his voice, or at least at 19, I figured he was, and knowing him, it was probably his inside voice. <laughs> Taken by a complete surprise, I did what any other 19-year-old, impetuous, indestructible, 10-foot-tall and bazooka-proof young, new-to-the-army soldier would do. I turned around to tie up with the guy. And as he quit slinging me and I turned around to look at him in the briefest of moments, I looked at this man's eyes, which was a bottomless pit, and realized that I was cocking the hammer on the division command sergeant major of the entire 10th Mountain Division Light Infantry. For those of you who are soldiers, that's why it's quiet in here, because you're not breathing. I'd have a better chance picking on the entire Russian army as I would to pick on that guy right there. You just don't do that. Um, one thing's for sure, I turned back around a whole lot quicker than I did to meet my adversary, that's for sure. And uh, he commits to telling me just exactly who I was and what I was doing and why I wasn't doing it and all these different things like that. I've, I've heard this referred to as uh, situational awareness because some things you can only learn once. So I'm, I'm listening, yes, Sergeant Major, yes, Sergeant Major. And when he left, I said, Top, you know, after I started breathing again, I said, Top, what is up with this? You inspected me this morning. You said that my uniform was all right. What, what's, what's wrong with me? Because my infraction was the thing that I did wrong that was so heinous that he picked me out of a thousand people over was I had starch in my uniform. Best looking soldier out there, if I do say so myself, and my wife tells me I'm remarkably humble. He tells me off like he did, and I asked Top, what did I do wrong? He said, soldier, he gets his uniform starched at the same place I do. So in other words, this sergeant major picked on me for the very thing that was in his uniform at the time. So the moral of the story is, and believe it or not, this is going to relate to what we're going to talk about this morning, is you never know who you're going to meet or when you're going to meet them, but be ready. Your future quality of life may depend on it. Now, as funny as that may be to soldiers who are thinking in their mind, going, better you than me, I'm smarter than that. That's what we're going to consider this morning as we talk about what happened in the triumphal entry. But let me tell you one more story, and then we'll get on with it. Have you ever met a straight-up good person? A person of quality that by, that by virtue of who they are and by no real effort of their own could help you along the path to becoming a better person through no effort of their own, it's just by knowing them and being friends with them, you can become a better person just by hanging around with them. They make an entrance into our lives, and, and I would go so far as to say that some of these good people are actually the blessing of God to us, and they make up for some of the deficiencies that we may have as we're walking along this path to life. My friend, 
Matt was such a man. He was a, an assuming kindly old man. He was in his 70s back in the 80s. Uh, he was a World War II veteran. He was Patton's tank driver at one point. He had every badge known to man that was a special school in the army at that time. To top it all off, he was trained with the British commandos. He rode motorcycles. He did everything that is storybook in the military that they make the movies about. And in actuality, they did make a movie, Saving Private Ryan, after one of the missions that he was on. An incredible guy that is a young soldier at 19. I would go to church on Sunday nights and I would listen to his stories. And he wasn't bragging. He was just talking like it had happened yesterday. It wasn't a big deal to him. And he would tell these stories, and I'd go, man, that's just incredible. I just don't know how to, you know, what to think of all of this. And finally, one Sunday night, he says, I have something for you, Bill. Which he might have said, Billy, that was a long time ago. He says, next Sunday, I have something for you. I'm going to bring it. I just want you to look at it and tell me what, what you think about it. And bring it back to next Sunday, because I want it back. And I said, well, yes, sir. Didn't think anything about it. Well, next Sunday night comes along. He shows up, and he brings me an army three-ring black binder how many soldiers know what i'm talking or in airmen and service members know what i'm talking about he said take this home and look at it and tell me what you think i went okie dokie i will do that i took it home sat it down didn't think a thing about it later that week i opened it up and said oh my gosh everything this man has told me is not only real it's only the tip of the iceberg not only was he first tank in at the battle of the bulge and the last tank out he had pictures with him and every general of that era had written letters by every one of them. And as I looked at that, I, I was holding history and come to find out after his death, every major historian of World War II wanted to get their hands on this black binder. And this unassuming, kindly old man set it in my hands and just walked off and left me with it on a Sunday night at 19 years old. I was holding history like no one had ever seen or thought of. It was absolutely incredible. It, it, it's left a, a mark in my life just by, by seeing this and seeing that this man had shared this with me. And his wife was a, a doll of a woman. She would, she would uh, pray while he was over there, excuse me, fighting in World War II. And when he went on this special mission that Saving Private Ryan is, is an absolute farce, guys, okay? It is fiction, but it's kind of based along what he, he did do, my friend Matt. When he was on this mission, things would be happening. And Matt told me himself, I wasn't a believer at the time. I was a heathen, and he would tell me all the things he did. But his wife would be praying for him, and she would wake up. And she would have this moment when she would realize that she needed to pray for him, and she would pray and pray and pray and Matt said bombs would come in through the roof of a building and not blow up and land on the guy beside me but nothing would ever hit me or hurt me the whole time he was on that mission that's the quality of these people I'm telling you God blesses us with relationships people that 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 come into our lives that love us like we are and then they want to share the goodness of of God with us I listened to this man. I listened intently. But this binder provided a, a new dimension into the man. Who this man was. It was good enough at the time to see him and to hear the stories. But it was better to see what was in the, the binder. To, to touch what he did and to go there with him. You know, when we're presented with enough data, we make a choice to believe or not to believe, but we will make a decision to that end. This is true with, with ordinary relationships, but true in the highest sense regarding Jesus. Our physical, our spiritual, and our eternal destiny hinges upon rightly recognizing this one special person. We must recognize who Jesus is. Not who we make Him out to be, not who we want Him to become, but who He is, and we change accordingly, He never does. He has given us His Word to take home. It's not in a three-ring binder. It's, it's in a Bible much like this, or even in your iPad, uh, uh, or, or, or Android, if you will. And He speaks to us, and He reveals who He is. Will we recognize Him as He is and not how we want him to be. Because you know that you'll tell yourself a lie and believe it. Where is the blessing in believing a lie? 
But I can tell you this, when you know Jesus for who he is, he will change your life and bless you in ways that lying to yourself will never do for you. Amen? What we do once we recognize, recognize him is the question that every human faces at some point in their lives. Will we go all in or will Jesus be another app on our phone that we amuse ourselves with? Today we'll speak along this line of thinking. So what are we supposed to do today uh, during the, the observance of Palm Sunday? I've already told you I'm not going to go verse by verse. This is not going to be a history lesson today. So we're going to go with this theme today, recognizing Jesus. Today is a day, not unlike any other day, but today it really there's a heightened awareness that we should recognize Jesus for who he is as he makes his entrance into our lives. He uses that word recognize in Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. It says, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave you in one, uh, leave upon you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This was the harshest reality for Jesus to face. It caused him to weep bitterly in front of this entire procession, this entire multitude of people, as great as it was. Jesus lost it. Every man in this room right now knows that's one of those things that, for the most part, we don't do in front of people. By ourselves in front of people, or in front of people. But Jesus weeps openly and bitterly because he knows what's coming to the nation of Israel, especially this city, because he's brought himself there to them so that they could recognize him and they've turned their backs upon him. And he knows that it won't be but a few more decades and the whole place will be leveled to the ground. And 100 years after that, a farmer will plow a crop on top of the Temple Mount. Right where the temple is that he's about to walk to. Jesus used the word recognize. It means to, to mark or to discern what is, what is going on at that moment. It says, you didn't recognize my visitation. This visitation is actually, according to this Greek word, a visitation of God in mercy. It's the mercy of God that shows us that we even need to repent, it tells us in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. And now He's revealing Himself in His mercy to them again, and He's saying that the people did not recognize Him, and because they refused to recognize Him, that their country would be almost annihilated. As one person said uh, that I've heard in times past, so great was the annihilation of the Jews in Jerusalem and the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that died that the entire earth itself groaned during those days. The destruction, almost destruction of a people. But recognizing Jesus is a process. It's much more like a, a forever journey, if you will. Recognizing Jesus begins with coming to know Him as Savior. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You are saved right then. And I believe that Jesus has the power to hold me in my salvation. The devil didn't give it to me. The devil can't take it away. And if He saves me, then I'm saved completely inside of my heart. He says, you will be saved, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. I am saved from the hold that the devil had on me. And now I walk in newness of life. What does that look like? Well, sometimes it doesn't look like it's very new or life itself. I'll give you that. But we're all on that journey where God is changing us here a little and there a little from glory to glory. Coming to know Jesus is more than recognizing our need for a Savior, although it does involve that. It's recognizing Him for who He is and for what He has done. True enough, you need Him, but it's not about your need. It's about who He is. We should recognize Jesus for that. We receive Him on His terms as there is no other name by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. To approach God on our terms is to be found in opposition to God Himself. Our adversary tried that eons ago and we see how it turned out for Him. 
If you approach God in opposition to Him, telling Him how it's going to be and what's going to happen, you will be able to walk in your delusion until you, the day that you go on to glory. And when you get there, you'll find out you're wrong. But recognizing Jesus involves coming to know Him as Savior, but it also involves continuing to take on His nature and to live it out meaningfully among His people. He that says He abides in Him, my connect group says, ought Himself to walk even as Jesus walked. We can walk and be like Jesus. How many of you ever have thought in your life that there was no way you could walk or be like Jesus? Three of us. For the rest of y'all, I, I know your arms aren't working right now, but it, it's okay. I, I'm not going to make you hold your arms up. Okay. To illustrate the point, continuing on in being like Jesus, let's get back to this. I don't get to speak too much about giving to the poor and needy anymore, but here we go. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said that if we give to the poor and needy, the least of these, my brethren, then we have given to him. This really puts things in perspective for me because every time that we give to the poor and the needy, we're staring into the eyes of Jesus himself. We're continuing in the work of Christ. We're putting our hands to the plow. We're caring for the people that he cared for the most, and that includes us. It tells us in James 1, chapter 26, He tells us what true religion is, and that true religion is this, that we visit the widows and the orphans in their distress, in their flipsis. That, that word means in the pressure that they're feeling, we visit them where we are. So for every widow that you come close to, to lock arms with and to hold hands with and to be there with when they come into the, their time of need, you have touched the very heart of God. For every orphan that you adopt into your family to help them out when they have no family. God's Word says this is true religion. This is my very heart. Continue in these things. This is what my heart is all about. It's really not about what you think. I don't think God could care any less about what you think. He's made it plain what the way is. Will we receive Him as He is as He makes His triumphal entry into our lives? You guys are listening so well this morning. But recognizing Jesus involves coming to know Him as Savior. It continues as we take on His nature. But it also culminates with seeing Him as He is in all His glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, it reads this way, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. 1 John 3, 2, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That tells me that I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen Jesus for all He is right now. I can't tell you everything about Him. I can't tell you exactly what He looks like, but I can tell you this one thing. One day we will know. One day we will see. And Jesus is standing on the other side looking at us right now saying, hold to me. Look to me. Don't look to the things that you see, but look to me. If you will continue in my word, you will be like me. You will become like me. When we recognize him, our lives will change. Not just so they can change, but they have to change because that's the life of God that's now living inside of us. As we recognize that life, we will be changed. Death cannot reside where life is. Recognizing Jesus. If you haven't guessed it already today, the theme of today's message is recognizing Jesus. In today's narrative, the people of Israel were in a state of hopeful expectation. Would this be the year that Messiah would come? It was this way every year. Every year they were looking for Jesus. Digressing slightly, how many of us are looking for Jesus right now? That's a New Testament Scripture. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Each year during the week before Passover, the high priest would choose the, the perfect lamb from a, a special flock at a little place called Migdal Eater. It was a place where they raised the lambs just for this purpose at Passover. Coincidentally enough, and, and by... 
divine provision of God. This is also where the shepherds first came, the, the angels came to the shepherds and told them that Messiah had been born, not far from there, in this same place. And the high priest would go there and, and look as diligently, diligently as he knew how to do to find the perfect lamb, if there was one, the one that had no blemishes at all, and he would pick this lamb up and put it across his shoulders and begin the walk back to town and go into the temple complex area where they would put it in a place to where everybody that wanted to could come by and look at this lamb to make sure that it had no blemishes, no fault at all. He could walk by and look under his feet, look behind his ears, pick his tail up, you know, pat him on the head, just look at him. Everybody could look because their forgiveness for an entire year was riding on this thing being perfect. It had to, to be without fault. In time, this lamb became known as the, the Passover lamb or even as the lamb of, of God. It brought the nation forgiveness of sin for a year. It came up prophesying in a, a Monday night one night. In the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke chapter 6, it talked about forgiveness of our trespasses. But in that passage there that has, is really the gospel of the kingdom, there's a desperation that's involved with asking for forgiveness. Do we desire desperately that God forgive us? We know that we're forgiven already, but do we want the relationship to be right with God? Well, he would carry this into the temple so everybody could see it, and at the end of the week, the priest would wash his hands and hand the lamb over for sacrifice. But this year that we're talking about today, as the lamb is entering the temple complex, there is a commotion and outside of the city walls, there is another procession. Have you ever wondered why the people had what they needed to acknowledge Jesus for who He was? Some went and cut leaves and, and branches off of trees, and they threw their, their clothes down, their, their, their coats and all down on the ground, put them on the donkey so, so that Jesus could come in. But that's because there was a procession right before that where the Lamb of God came in, and they took it to the temple, of, temple complex. But now Jesus is coming in as the Lamb of God. It's the second procession, if you will. And another pure and spotless Lamb from Bethlehem, born for this specific purpose, is being carried towards the east gate. This is the same Lamb that John the Baptist spoke of when he said in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 36, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. This word behold is an interjection, and it's an interjection of surprise. If John never knew it at this point right here, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He recognized exactly who he was. But there is no denying Jesus when he comes to make himself known to you. Not only did the people recognize him, many of the religious elite recognized him. And the bold statement that he was making Jesus pulled out all of the stops. He was declaring Himself to be the Messiah foretold in Scripture when He came into the city on this day. Now, everywhere that Jesus went, He told people He was the Messiah. He called Himself the Son of Man. That's Daniel chapter 7. We all know that. Everywhere He went, He demonstrated the gospel of the kingdom. We've all heard that. We all know that there was three, according to some schools, four on others. There were miracles that only the Messiah could do. Jesus did every one of them. Every single religious leader, every single person in that nation knew that Jesus possessed every quality that he had to possess to be the Messiah, and now he's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, according to the, the uh, prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Now you tell me there was one soul that didn't know he was saying he was the Messiah. I mean, come on guys, we, we can't make this any more plain to see what, what Jesus was doing. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Jesus is saying, I'm the king, guys. Go back to Zechariah 9.9. Every one of you religious leaders know what I'm doing right now, so let's just get on with it. It says, He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He came bringing salvation to us as a people. 
The religious leaders and people would have picked up on the cultural significance of this. They knew what was going on. There was no hiding this at all. We've heard this so many times that when a king comes into a city, if he's coming in peace, he rides a donkey. Now believe it or not, that was a fitting animal for a king to ride. To me, that's like driving a Volkswagen. You can, you can giggle, guys. I like my new car. It's eight years old, but it's nice. I, I like my car. There's no going back to a Volkswagen. But that's not the thing that Jesus was saying. He's saying, I can ride this donkey that no one has ever ridden before, and not only is it not going to throw me, I'm going to fulfill all the prophecy, and I'm going to come into this city and make myself known to you. And you're going to be faced with the question, what will I do with Jesus? Every one of us are faced with that same question at some point in our life and at many places in our lives. What will we do with Jesus? It may not agree with your lifestyle. It may not agree with the things that you think. It may not agree with the spouse that you have. But whatever the reason you have is, Jesus is our strength. God is our strength. I will not be ashamed. I will not be afraid. I will not be any of that. Jesus has made Himself known to everyone collectively and as a whole, no matter who you are, what you are, what your family has done, or where you want to go in life, you will answer this question. Will I accept Jesus for who He is? We're all faced with this, guys, gals. You can't run from it. What will you do with it? But let me temper what I'm saying with this. Jesus was coming in peace. Jesus comes to you in, in peace. Right now is the time of peace. Right now is not the time for judgment. That's for another day. But right now, He's coming to you in peace saying, will you accept Me? Will you do that? No matter what you did at work this week, no matter what you did on the, the, the highway coming to church this morning, no matter what you did in the car coming to church this morning or in the parking lot or finished in the parking lot, whatever it is, He's holding His hands out to you right now saying, what will you do with the life that I'm making available to you? Again, you're listening well. Luke chapter 19, verse 39. The people there recognized Jesus as their Messiah and praise erupted from their lips. The religious elite told him to rebuke his disciples for doing so, and Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 16. He said, Do you hear what these children are saying? The Pharisees did. And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise for yourself? Prepared praise. Perfected praise. Ordained strength. Established a power. Who is Jesus to you? When Jesus makes Himself known to you out of the mouth of these babies, whoever's made Himself like one of these children, Jesus says, operating in simple faith. What are you going to do with that? So the natural reaction is to bring glory and praise Jesus for who He is. But He's making a statement here. This is just not about me being praised because now you rec recognize who I am. He's, he's saying that you're ordaining strength. You're establishing a power in your life. By praising Him, you're looking to Him for who He is. You have to really put down who you are to praise somebody adequately in the way that they, they should be praised. Some people put it this way, that the, st the strength of the weak is praise, and that worship of Christ is strength. And these children, these people who were praising Him, were doing so, and it stilled the sound of the enemy. On this day, you have to really understand what was going on. For you to side with Jesus could get you excommunicated from the church, which means you were kicked out of your nation because you couldn't communicate with anyone in your country. You had to go. That was the center. That was the hub. So if you said Jesus is the Messiah, you were out. 
But these people, while Jesus is coming in, they're praising Him openly in front of the leaders. They're standing there doing like this. They can't do anything about it. They can't stop it. What are they going to do? Kick the nation out of the nation? Everyone that was there is praising Him like it's nobody's business. What's the application for us? Praising Jesus quietens the sound of noisy unbelief in our life. The noise is still there. It's just not the primary sound that we hear. When we look to Him and we praise Him, when we recognize who Jesus is and He comes into our life, we have a choice. We're all adults here. And if you're not an adult, you are for this moment. So hear what I'm saying. You have a choice. What will you do once you recognize who Jesus is? You can get in the car and turn the radio on and you can numb yourself to it and try to get yourself distracted so you don't deal with the conviction of Holy Spirit. But Holy Spirit is still there. He's just not the primary sound. He's secondary. But for these people, it quietened the sound of this noisy unbelief of the Pharisees to where all they could see was Jesus. All they could focus on was Jesus. And they praised Him openly all over the place, cutting limbs off trees, throwing them on the ground, going along for the six miles, I think it was, or something like it, following Him along, praising Him, for it says in one, in one gospel, for all of the things that He had done, for the miracles that He had done, how God had visited His people. The religious leaders wanted them to be quiet. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 40, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. It's as if heaven and earth had stood still for a moment in time while Jesus made his way to the temple. Jesus is holding nothing back now. There is no pretense. He's not keeping anything back, speaking in parables because so, so nobody else could understand what he was saying. He's pulled out the stops. I'm the guy, you know this prophet, the prophecies, you know what I've told you, you've seen it in demonstration of the gospel of the kingdom, you know who I am, what will you do with it? Everyone knows who he is. Some continue in their belief while others choose to disbelieve. This is worthy of noting that whether you believe or you don't believe, in this story, nobody was quiet. If you believe, you will act accordingly. If you do not believe, you will act accordingly. We saw that the Pharisees did that. So whatever it is that's going on in your mind, let me fill you in on how adults think. They can sit and listen to a person talk long enough and locate them where they are. It doesn't take long with Jesus. Everything is open and laid bare with Him anyway. So if you believe, you will act on it. If you don't, you will act on it. Matthew tells us that all of Jerusalem was stirred when Jesus entered in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 10. They understood Zechariah's prophecy. It says that all of Jerusalem was stirred. This Greek word carries with it, it's, it's actually part of the root word for the word earthquake. So when Jesus came into the city, it, it was like this tremor effect in everybody in the entire city, inside the walls and outside of it, because wherever Jesus is, something's going to give. Kind of like when they come to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Maybe not. I'm not sure. They come up to get him. Who are you? I am. Bang. And people fall down all over the ground. At the sound of his voice. If he directs his voice at you in a way to where he wants you to fall down, you don't have a choice in the matter. You're going to fall down. If he, re if he reveals himself to you in a way to where you have recognized him for all that he is, you will believe or disbelieve. You do not have a choice. I don't have a choice any more than you do when it comes to that. Jesus then enters the city, looks around the temple, and then heads back out, to, uh, out of town to Bethany. He returns the next day, proceeds to the temple where his ministry began. The first and last thing that Jesus did in his ministry was to clean the temple. Why? Because he wanted to establish it as a house of prayer. This is a house of prayer. We pray too. Uh, we pray here. We pray on Monday nights. If you want to come and to be with us and to pray, bring it and bring it. And let's pray together. We would love to have you. But there's a reason why he wants it to be a house of prayer. Not so we can just get around and feel good because we're a body of believers who prays together. But it says in Matthew 21, 14, 
that the blind and the lame then could come to him in the temple and he healed them. He's looking for an outcome for the prayer, but it revolves around and it's, it's, it's all to do with where Jesus is and who he is to us. The heart of Jesus is for people, especially those who are not yet convinced of who he is. It's why he came. Every one of us had been at a place in our lives to where we didn't know who Jesus was. And to be frankly honest, we didn't care who he was. He was kind of all right with the whole cross thing, maybe, and Jesus and church and all of that. But we were living our lives. But now that he's revealed himself to us, much like my friend Matt, I knew my friend Matt. But when I saw the binder, when I saw the pictures, when I saw the reality of it, of it all, it took me to a new level with my friend. Jesus has given us his word which is who He is. He's revealed Himself to us. We've seen what's gone on in this church where people have been healed from cancers. We have seen prayers be answered in different ways, that's for sure. We've seen these things. We've heard good preaching of the Word of God. But then Jesus comes in and reveals Himself in a much deeper level, and then we recognize we need to step up and change something else in our lives. Maybe we need to accept Him as our Savior and give our lives to Him. And in His service... It's called being a disciple. Being disciplined. It's after this ultimate spring cleanup when Jesus cleans the temple out that Jesus himself is inspected for a week and judged to be without fault or blemish by the civil and the, the religious authorities. And at the end of that feast, Pilate washes his hands and Jesus dies for us. Much like the lamb who was being slain on the altar, Jesus was outside the city on the cross. Talk about the live action of all live actions. And He did it for us. Unlike the little lamb who couldn't save himself, Jesus could. Jesus could have called the legions of angels. He could have saved himself he had the power to do that you have to understand he had to have the power to do that for this thing to work in the first place because he's greater he's greater than death he's greater than the devil he's greater than all of these things he submitted and gave himself to it and if he will then we should if there's a cross to carry we should carry the cross too if paul died daily we die daily if jesus died then we die we give ourselves to God. We give ourselves to Him because of what Jesus did. And if He loved me enough to do it, then I want to do the same. I know that you do too. Without any understanding of what they were saying, the chief priests and scribes and the elders, they mocked Jesus as He was dying. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 42, they said, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. This is the depth of depravity that Paul talks about in Romans 1, where you can't see the forest for the trees. You really, you really can't see the truth of it all. Because they were exactly right. If he saved himself, he could not save us. So he died. Jesus said in John chapter 12. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It was for this purpose I came to this hour. So, how do you recognize Jesus? It's important to know that it's God's plan that we know Him. God said, and He knew before the, the foundation of the world that He was going to send Jesus, God did. Actually, the Elohim, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were, were in agreement with this and they knew that Jesus would come. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is the first time it's recorded that they said that He was coming, the prophecy was, was given. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 8, In the midst of trying times, the prophet said, While following the way of your judgments, even when life is hard and things are not going well, it's saying, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. Have we ever desired Him? I see two crowds of people in today's narrative. 
The first crowd of people did what everyone else had always done. They remembered the exodus from Egypt. They enjoyed the symbolism of this event. They were grateful that there was hope for the forgiveness of their sins. And running in the background, there was even an expectation that their Messiah might come. This may be the day that the Messiah shows up. Could it be Jesus? But how many times have we looked to what represents Jesus instead of looking to Jesus? Jesus told the Pharisees, the very people who were supposed to represent Him, that they searched the Scriptures for in them they thought that they had eternal life. But life is not found in a book. Life is found in a person. Jesus says, you know what the book says, but you can't see Me and I'm standing in front of you. Jesus said these religious leaders were in the right place, but they didn't recognize Him. How many of us have come to church and done all the right things? How many of us have come for the right reasons? How many of us have come because our spouses wanted us to? How many of us have come because it looks good for the kids? Whatever our, our motive is, now that we're here, everyone under the sound of my voice has to recognize who Jesus is. He's presenting Himself. We all have to face the music and say, that is who you are. Will I believe or will I choose to disbelieve? You have enough information to make the decision. Will we choose Him? Getting back to the story, why was Jesus entering the east gate of Jerusalem anyway? He was coming to the city to die. More specifically, how was He going to die? He was going to die on a cross. Why did He die on a cross? To reestablish relationship and the possibility of relationship with us and God and to save Israel. That's why He came. Now what will we do with the ultimate gift? The greatest gift that could ever be given was Jesus presented Himself as the Passover Lamb so that we could be saved. What will we do with that? Will we recognize Jesus for who He is? He's made the way plain. He's made Himself plain. He's made it easy. He's brought the valleys up. He's brought the mountains down. He's made the curvy road straight. And He's made the rough road smooth. He's made it easy for us to come to Him. Will we accept Him? In spite of anything that we've ever done. The life of a believer involves carrying the cross of Christ. Paul said he died daily. If we understand the reward, we will pay the price. The reward is not the things that we get in this life. The reward is a relationship, and that relationship is with Jesus Christ. Do you want your life, do you want the lives of the people around you to be different? Then let's go to Jesus. Let's look to Him. He's making His way into our lives and He's presenting Himself. Every way we turn, every direction that we look, Jesus is there because He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's here. Do you want the relationship with Him? If we have the relationship with Him, the other things will happen. We don't give to the poor and the needy for the blessings that we get. We give to the poor and needy because Jesus loves them too. When we give to them, God honors His Word. It happens. To this first crowd that's in the church, I ask a question. For those of you that are good enough with being here and not committing to Jesus, what are you doing? What are you expecting in life? If you expect anything at all, what are you doing to get yourself in a position to see Jesus come? We have all the toys. We have limitless credit and more disposable income than ever. Yet we choose the lake over assembling with believers. We choose consumerism over giving. We choose to numb ourselves to the conviction of Holy Spirit with the busyness of life, all the while knowing that God's way is the only way that brings peace. It brings satisfaction. Yet we have to go out and buy a phone and a TV. We have to go on a trip. We have to do all of these things to try to numb the pain and the feeling that we have because we know that we're not walking with Him as we should. And He knows. 
and He still continues to reach out to us, will we recognize Him for what He's done or will we continue with the foolishness that we're walking in? He is the only way that will dispel our fears. He is the only way that will bring hope to our hearts. He is the only way that will bring true contentment to our hearts and to our lives. Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through Me. If you want the God kind of life, if you want to operate in the God kind of faith, you have to recognize Jesus for who He is. And if we will do that, we will live the life that God plans and intends for us. Then we can have the freedom that the song says. And we can walk in this freedom knowing that it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. Because of what Jesus has done, we can go out and accomplish everything that He would have for us. Do you want that for your life? What is it that you desperately desire from God? The most serious statement I have in this sermon is this one right here. I want you to listen intently. It's a dangerous place to be when we're this close to Christ and then do absolutely nothing about it. We're close enough to feel good about Him. Far enough away from Him to commit to being a disciple. A person in this state can be affected by the gospel for good and still not be joined to Christ. It's not about walking in a blessing. Have you accepted Christ? Once we get that taken care of, we can talk about the walk and the blessing that comes from being obedient to the Word. That has a, that has a place too, and we need to discuss that. But none of that works if the relationship is not right and we have not recognized Jesus for who He is. So how do we fix this? pastor told me earlier this week to quit reading the story and be the story. Quit reading about it and go out and do it. And in so doing, you'll position yourself to recognize Jesus. But there was another crowd as we're drawing it to a close. The second crowd in today's church saw what was going on with Jesus and recognized Him for who He was. He was their hope. He was their Messiah. He alone could give them the abundant life, John 10.10, because in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, John 1.4. The life was the light. It was a light that it shines all around us and can even permeate who we are. And He has a life for us, so much more for us, that's so much better than anything that we could want for ourselves. There is no material possession that we can desire that's greater than Jesus. There is no relationship that we can desire that is greater than Jesus. But if we desire Jesus and we walk with Him, then those things will come. What is it that you want? And it could be a good thing. Let's get it right with Jesus first. Jesus has life. He gives life. He is life. He's all that we'll ever need. Three short examples. When he approached the city of Nain, his path converged with a poor widow woman as she was in a funeral possession. She had no hope now that her only son had died. Can you fathom her joy when Jesus gave him back to her alive? Death cannot be around Jesus. A procession of life met a procession of death on this day, and life won, and this dear woman regained all that she ever wanted. There was nothing in the world that could help her and substitute for her son. The thing that she wanted was a relationship, and it was with her son. She needed him. That's what she wanted, and Jesus met that need. What is the dream that used to keep you awake at night and now you feel like it is hopeless to believe for it? God can resurrect it or He can give you a better one because godliness is actually a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. So if we are content to follow Christ, if we are content and we are looking for that closer relationship with Jesus, He will make all of these other things come, but you have to get the cart out from in front of the horse. When Jesus approached the city of Bethany, his friend Lazarus had been dead for four days. In this last of four messianic miracles, Jesus raised him from the dead, and everyone there, priests and all, knew exactly who Jesus was. Some believed. Some plotted against him to have him put to death. To both groups of people, death had claimed another, but Jesus took him back. 
life won out over death again. How many of you feel that although you're living, your life is dead and there's no hope? Am I the only person that's walked the face of this planet feeling like there was no hope? It's completely wrong, but you can't deny the feeling. What are you going to do with that feeling? Give it to Jesus? Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. When he approached the city of Jerusalem, Jesus led another procession in there to what has come to be known as Palm Sunday. One week later, he died for our sins, being put to death on a cruel Roman cross. Three days after that, he rose again. Again, life conquered death. It conquered death. It conquered hell. And it conquered the grave. Every enemy that's any enemy at all was defeated at the cross. Now Jesus says you can come to me. Enjoy the abundant life. What is that in your life? I don't know. What is it that you want it to be? Seek God. And He'll reveal it to you. Relationship is restored with God. Has life won out in your life? If not, consider Jesus. He's already come. He's not going back into Jerusalem again so that He can be crucified for us. It's time right now to recognize Jesus for who He is. For what He's done. What He's going to do. If everyone would close their eyes just for a second. can be a pretty heavy-handed topic which I have to consider. A lot of questions. A lot of things, and we're all different, so we're all in different places. So I have a couple questions, and we're going to pray. Did we come to see Jesus this morning? And if we did, what are we going to do with Him? Is life just good enough? And we're just going to go to work tomorrow and do the things we normally do? Or is he speaking to you this morning saying, things could be different, not just for the sake of being different, but so that the relationship could be right between us and him? Which crowd of people are we in? The ones who are looking at Jesus and completely satisfied with seeing him? And all the things that relate to Him? Or are we in the other crowd that's looking for Jesus? That wants the totality of relationship with Him and God? That wants the freedom that can only come from knowing Him? Jesus came so that we could have life. So that we could partake of life and walk in that life. And not only read about it. Are you tired of the ritual this morning? Jesus is real. He's come to be recognized, not only talked about. He is God with us. Will you choose to recognize Him for who He is? Time is running out. Eternity is calling. Choose life in Christ now. You won't regret it. So I want to do something different here with every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. I want everybody to raise one hand. Normally, it's times like this that I ask people to raise their hands if they agree with the question, but right now I want everybody to raise their hand and say, it's me. And whatever it is in your heart that you know needs to be right with Jesus, I want you to say, it's me. I'll, I'll get that right. You can put your hands down. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice that's in this room or watching at home right now through Facebook, if you know in your heart that you want this relationship with Jesus, but you don't know how to do it, but you know that you need it, wherever you are right now, I want you to raise your hands and do it now. Immediately, just raise your hands. You can put that hand down. 
Anyone else? Anyone else that's brave enough and honorable enough to raise that hand? Anyone else? The angels rejoice over one person that realizes their need for Jesus. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. Anyone else? He's talking to you. He knows you know. Will you give in? Father, I thank you for the honesty of this person. You've loved them with a love that's never ending and you, you just keep continuing to love and to love and to love. Right now, I want everybody to pray their short prayer with me. And then Pastor Peter's going to come. But before he does that, let's pray. Pray after me. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I thank you for revealing yourself to me. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that Jesus died on the cross for me and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. I receive your life, Father. I receive your life, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.